Hey there, church family. Thanks for joining in this week for another episode of our Bible study um, online. For those of you who've been walking through the study already, you know we're going through the book of Proverbs together. And so looking forward today to covering chapters 5 through 7. And so uh, we have a lot of ground to try to cover And so uh, stick with me. We won't be reading every verse of those chapters for time's sake, but I would encourage you maybe this week during your personal Bible study time to go back and read these chapters in full uh, so that you get even a more full picture of what's happening here. So thanks for joining us. Let's start off our time together with the word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for another day of life. Thank you that you are still on your throne and uh, you're still in control of all things. Uh, Lord, um, that truth, it brings us great comfort in the midst of difficult days. And so we praise you that you're a God who knows all and is in control of all. And Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you're not a God who's silent, but you have revealed to us your will through your word. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. We ask you for the spiritual discernment um, needed uh, to interpret your word in a faithful way. Uh, Lord, not only we ask for accurate interpretation, but Lord, we would ask that your spirit would activate the truth of your word and that uh, you would change our lives that you would make us more like Christ, that you would sanctify us um, by your word and uh, through its meaning in our lives. So Lord, help us with that. We need you. We rely on you even as we study the word together. So we pray that you would bless this study today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the book of Proverbs Um, is um, contained in the scripture uh, in a genre that's known as the wisdom literature. And so books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, even the Song of Solomon are uh, described as wisdom literature. And if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, you know that it has a lot to say about, about wisdom. In fact, you only have to read three words in to the book where you uh, you see that word showing up already to know uh, wisdom there in the second uh, verse. And so wisdom is a a huge part of the Christian life. But this word wisdom uh, really goes back to a Hebrew word, kokma. And uh, it has more to do with skill. And so some people may define wisdom as applied knowledge. I think that's a pretty good um, definition of wisdom. But really when the scriptures talk about wisdom, when the book of Proverbs talks about the value of wisdom, it's denoting sort of this skill that comes from the Lord in the art of godly living. And so it really is about not just knowing what to do, but actually the art of putting that knowledge into practice uh, to live a godly life. And so within the book of Proverbs, we're really introduced to three main characters. You have the wise person, the wise man, you have the foolish 
person and you have the simple person. As we've already mentioned, the wise person is the one who has learned the skill of godly living and embraces good progress in that skill. So over and over in the book of Proverbs, you will see um, the author talking about how there is an increased um, understanding of what it means to live a godly life that we have to recognize that we never get to the point um, as a believer where we've made it, where we have achieved the goal, but we're constantly trying to make good progress in that skill of God living. Now, the fool is basically the opposite to that. The fool is the one who is steadily opposed to God's way of living. This is the person that pushes back against God's design and what God says is the right way. Uh, the Bible says this is the person uh, that's a fool. And the simple, the simple person is really the one who's not firmly committed to either wisdom or folly. This is the person that's easily misled. It's the person that's not really taking a stand on one side or another, but is just somewhere sort of in the middle. That's that simple person. And so these are the three main characters that we see um, outlined and spoken of throughout the book of Proverbs. Now, one of the important things about when we study the scriptures is obviously context uh, is king. It has uh, a lot to do with rightly interpret interpreting um, the book of Proverbs and really any book that we're writing or we're reading and studying. And so uh, for the book of Proverbs, the literary context is really important. Here's the way the book of Proverbs works. Chapters one through nine are really a series of poems that sell wisdom to us. The writer's trying to convince the audience that wisdom is something that we desperately need and should be looking for with this eagerness in our hearts. Chapters one through nine make this case of why we should care so deeply um, about wisdom. But then the Proverbs sort of transition in chapter 10 where instead of these lengthy unified sections of scripture that read more like a narrative, each verse is its own tiny unit where that wisdom is delivered to the people. And so chapters one through nine are really the introduction to the rest of the book. Uh, but they, uh, they accomplish this introduction, this selling of the importance of wisdom to the reader through 10 what is called paternal appeals 10 paternal appeals let's let me show you some of these and know that we've already studied some of this but just so that you can see obviously anytime you're reading or studying scripture especially poetry wisdom literature you we need to key in on phrases that are repeated throughout the writing. The authors will often use repetition to bracket main thoughts that they're trying to make. And so that's what we see with these 10 paternal appeals in chapters one through nine. The first one we see there in Proverbs chapter one, verse eight, 
It says, hear my son, your father's instruction. So then the author goes on to explain uh, why um, uh, wisdom is so important. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive these words. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter 3, verse 21 says, My son, do not lose sight of these things. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Chapter 4, verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words. Chapter 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. So you can see how the author uses sort of this um, voice of a father speaking to his son. Now, it's totally possible that Solomon was actually thinking about his son when he was writing these things. And he's actually making an appeal to his son to hear these words and to believe them and to listen to them. But these paternal appeals bracket for us some of these main thoughts. And that's what we see right here at the beginning of our passage of Scripture where we're going to be looking more in depth. Let's look. Proverbs chapter 5. Look there in verse 1. It says, My son... Be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, that your lips may guard knowledge, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. So you can see there in verses 1 and 2, the father is once again appealing to the son, listen to this wisdom. You need this wisdom so desperately, incline your ear to understanding these things. Um, And so uh, we know that um, we live in a context where wisdom is so desperately needed. Um, Even given the circumstances where we are uh, with the coronavirus, with um, racial division, with all the things that are going on in our world today, it can be hard to know what's the right thing to do, what's the godly thing to do. And so the scriptures here are are asking us, are commanding us to seek after this godly type of wisdom and listen closely to it. But really, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are focal point for today. Um, the the author Solomon he is going to give a an illustration of what can happen if wisdom is not followed if godly living is not submitted to by the audience by the son in this context and he uses the the illustration of sexual immorality. And it's interesting because throughout Scripture, what we see often is that when God wants to speak to the depravity of man, or God is giving an example of how depraved, sinful man really is, often the Scriptures will point out um, that man or that group of men, their uh, sexual immorality. And so it's interesting that for the first four chapters here of Proverbs, it's sort of been this theoretical uh, plea for wisdom. But then in chapter five, there is 
um, this transition to this illustration where it seems like the father is really um, um, the father is really focusing in on the depravity and the the ungodliness of sexual immorality. And so let, let's look at it verses three through six. You see the temptation. You see the allure of the woman. It says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And so, this father recognizes that for a young man, um, attraction can lead to um, foolish living. And uh, that's what he's pointing out here, that uh, this this woman, this forbidden woman, the scripture says, um, looks good. It says, uh, she drips honey. She's attractive in some way. And yet what's behind that uh, attraction is verse five, death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. And this, this is a good reminder for all of us. Um, even from the book of James, James chapter one, it says this, James 1, 14 through 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And this is why um, we have to take our sin so seriously. We have to take temptation so seriously is because the scriptures say what that temptation leads to is not um, an unhappy life. What that temptation leads to is not a little bit of of um, discontent. What that temptation leads to when it gives birth to sin is death. It's destruction. It destroys. And 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 I think what the book of James and what Proverbs five here is telling us is this. I like to go fishing. Going fishing is one of those things that I just really enjoy. But what do we call fishing baits? We call them lures, right? And that's the that's what the language that James uses. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so we use that fishing lure. We're trying to to um, trick that fish to think this is something that's good. This is something that will um, is what you need. This is food that you need. And of course, they hit the lure. We catch the fish, and but that's the way temptation looks for us. On the outside, it's it looks sweet. It looks like honey, and yet behind it is destruction. Behind it is death. And so this father is appealing to the son. And we should hear that appeal in our own minds even now as we think these things of the the temptation and the importance of dealing with that temptation. Look how the father 
starting in verse 7, appeals to his son to deal with this temptation. Verse 7, And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised Reproof, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. You hear it there? I mean, the father says, how do we deal? How does a wise person deal with temptation? He says, verse 8, keep your way far from her. In other words, Run. In other words, act like Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house and there was that temptation. He was in this very difficult circumstance. What was his reaction? Run. Flee immorality. Run away from it. And so the father um, um, says this. And so look, for some of you all listening, for some of us listening, you need to hear right now from the Word of God that sexual immorality that you've been playing with, that little something that's on the side here or behind closed doors that you think is not going to hurt anybody, that you think no one is going to find out about. Brothers and sisters, you need to know that path is going to lead to destruction and to your ruin. And God's word, God's instruction to you today is to be done with it, to run away from it, to flee from it. And yet for others of us, maybe we're not dealing with any type of sexual immorality. But look, this is the way all sin works in our lives. All sin works like this. Maybe it's not sexual immorality. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's telling some little white lies at work to try to get a leg up in the uh, corporate ladder or in our standing. Look, the Bible, the scripture is clear. Be done with that. Be done with those temptations to act in that way. Run from those sinful things. Put to death the desires of our flesh. Really clear teaching here. Now, now let's look in verses 15 through 20. I want to point this out because I feel like sometimes when we talk about sexual things, what we can often really go to is the, the scripture's clear teaching on sexual immorality. Don't do that. Flee from that. Run. And certainly the Bible's clear on that. But God has a very clear place for our sexual intimacy and pleasure to be enjoyed. And that's within the context of marriage. So look, I feel like the scripture really lays this out well in verses 15 through 20 here. The father continues talking to the son and look what he says in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well, 
Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So we see here um, a clear biblical teaching on sexual ethics. In other words, the, the writer is saying here, sex is a good thing as long as it's played out in the context of God's design, which is marriage. Notice verse 18, rejoice in the wife of your youth. This is a call to a husband and wife and what God has designed within the marriage covenant is an atmosphere, is a place for sexual intimacy to be enjoyed. Yes, a sexual intimacy has a purpose for procreation and for multiplying and filling the earth. But here we see scripturally that sexual intimacy also has a place in the Christian ethic for sexual pleasure, for the enjoyment of one another. Now, obviously, we have to be careful with this and have to make sure that both husband and wife are being served and are enjoying that point in marriage and those acts within um, the marriage bed. But we see those things clearly laid out here. One time I heard it said, I think it's a, a good way of thinking, uh, talking about a fire and, and relating that to sexual intimacy within marriage. Look, a fire in a person's house is a good thing as long as it's kept within the fireplace, right? For those of us who have a fireplace in our homes, well, we enjoy that in the wintertime, at least for the two weeks of winter that we're able to do that here in Texas, but we enjoy that. But look, here's the point. If you build a fire in the middle of your bedroom floor, you're going to burn the house down. Right, So the fire is good if it's kept within the proper context, within the proper place within the home. And it's, it's the same thing with sexual sexuality within marriage. As long as that sexual intimacy is within the confines of marriage, biblically in the eyes of God, this is a good thing. And yet, when you pull it out, when you put it in a context that's outside of the realm of mar marriage, you're headed toward destruction, and the father wants his son to understand those things. Now, let's continue to look at how the father uh, talks about these things with his son. We'll skip over to chapter 6, verse 20. Chapter 6, verse 20, we see this second a paternal um, appeal in our passage. The first one was there in chapter 5, verse 1. The second one is here in Proverbs 6, verse 20. It says, My son, keep your com father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. 
When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Now, key in here to the point that the father's making. How is the son going to be able to run from this temptation? It's by hearing the instruction of the father. He says, listen to the instruction. Be in tune. Let your, He says, bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. In other words, think about, meditate on these instructions of the Father. And that is the key for overcoming the temptation. Now, obviously for us, the application is clear here. Look, if we want to be wise, if we want to be the wise person who is growing in the progress of godly living, we have to be in the Word of God. We have to be memorizing God's Word. We have to be cherishing God's Word. We have to be reading God's Word. We have to be meditating upon the truths of God's Word. I mean, we've heard this illustration often But I think it's a good one for us to be reminded of. Now, even for Jesus, when he was out in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan, we see Jesus fighting the the Satan's attacks on him by using Scripture. And so if we want to be successful in walking in the wise way, living a godly life, we have to be in the Word of God. We have to be within it. If we're not, we will fall. If we're not, we will be led to destruction and we will be hurt very badly. Look down in verse 27. Look look at the destruction that comes for the person that doesn't follow these things. It says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest? and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. Look down at verse 33. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. I mean, in other words, if we play with the fire of temptation, we will get burned. We will be destroyed. And and it's interesting because as it relates to sexual immorality, um, I've had the opportunity to sit down with brothers and sisters in Christ who've fallen in this way, who've fallen into adultery, who've fallen into sexual immorality. And I've never heard from any of them, Pastor, I committed adultery and I'm so glad I did it. It was the best decision I ever made. I've never heard that. Over and over again, I've heard, if I could go back and do it all again, 
I would choose something else. It has destroyed my life. It has destroyed my family dynamics. It has destroyed relationships. And yes, there's redemption in that. Maybe there's folks listening and studying along with us today and you have fallen. And maybe it's too late on some of these things because that's in the past. Let me say to you, that's the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That no matter how foolish you've been in the past, redemption is available. The scripture says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. He can make us clean once again. He has the power through the blood of Christ to to wash us and to redeem us and to restore us in the midst of that. But for those of us who are in that moment now of struggling with temptation, the scripture is clear. You're headed toward destruction. Run from it. Flee from it. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Let me speak for a moment very clearly on a topic that's ravaging our churches and our world. That's the issue of pornography. I've talked with many folks who have dealt with this destructive um, sin this pattern of pornography in their lives. And often the way people have justified that in their own life is, well, it's not really hurting anybody. It's better than going out and actually having sexual immorality, acts of sexual immorality with another person. It's all on a screen. It's not really hurting anybody. Look, Brothers and sisters, if that's you, if you've thought like that, Proverbs 6.32 says, He who does it is destroying himself. You're going down a path of total destruction. And the scripture's call to, to you today is to be done with it, to run away with it, to put it aside, to repent to confess that sin to the Lord, to get accountability. I want to offer for any any person who's studying along today and you've struggled with this and it's been hidden, maybe you're the only one that knows. Look, reach out to me. Reach out to any of our pastors. Reach out to a Christian brother or sister in Christ and get that off your chest. Ask for help. Ask for accountability. We would love to walk with you through that journey of overcoming that temptation and that stronghold in your life. But the scripture is clear here. Run. And I think what the father is doing here in chapter 6 is trying to help the son see past the immediate temptation to the consequences that lie behind it. Total destruction, spiritual ruin is in the future if the sun goes down this path. Okay, let's finish by talking about this last paternal appeal that we see in um, Proverbs 7 of starting in verse 1. My son, keep my words. 
treasure my commandments uh, with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. We've spoken about this already. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So there is this very strong connection between remaining in the word of God and having the wisdom and strength to walk in this way instead of in the way of the flesh. So we've talked about memorizing the scriptures, reading the scriptures, um, even um, coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging one another with these words of, of scripture. And so um, chapter chapter 7, verses 6 through 23, we're not going to read that all right now, but I do want to read verses 21 through 23 because it's so clear about what happens if this son does not heed these warnings. Chapter 7, verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, does he not know that it will cost him his life? It's almost like the father is laying this out, this narrative in such a way that we want to scream through the pages of scripture to the son and say, stop, don't do it. We, we can understand how it looks appealing how you think no one will find out, how you think that um, um, this is a good thing for you, but we can see where it's headed. So don't do it. Go, don't go down this road. In fact, many others have fallen prey. Look in verses 24 through 27. And now, sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Look, verse 26. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. I mean, it's as if the father wants the sons to see it's like a battlefield. And all of these dead young men are have, have been seized, have been um, killed at the sword of this woman's, this forbidden woman's temptation. See that, understand that, recognize that. That destruction is there. Don't go down that path. But look, it's not even physical death is the extent of that. Verse 27 says, her way is the way to Sheol. Look in scripture, especially the Old Testament, when it speaks of Sheol, it's speaking of the place of torment even after death. So we're not even talking about that this destruction will lead to 
physical ruin, will lead to relationships being broken. But it's actually talking about this can lead to total spiritual ruin. So what are the applications for us today? I think I want to point out three primary applications as we wrap up our time. Number one, we need to be self um, we, we need to be introspective and search our souls to see if there be any pet sin that we've been dealing with, that we've been allowing in our lives. Like we said, maybe for some of us, the scripture has really pierced our hearts today because we have been um, going down this path of sexual immorality. Or maybe it's not even gone to that point yet. Maybe it's just this little temptation that we're allowing to take root in our mind. Maybe it's a relationship at work that is headed that way. Maybe it's something online. Maybe it's some other type of immorality. But maybe for others, like we say, it's... It, it's as um, it seems as um, uh, meaningless and as simple as prideful thoughts, as a lying tongue, as gossip, as thinking of our own self rather than thinking of others. And we have to be very clear that those sins can be as destructive in the long term as um, sexual immorality, especially related to our spiritual lives. So we need to examine our lives, run from temptation, flee immorality. If we have fallen, we need to confess that, repent, be done with it, and ask the Lord to wipe us clean once again. The second application is for our families. Look, we know that um, Satan is is attacking God's good design for husbands and wives to be in a marriage covenant for a lifetime. One man and one woman loving and serving one another under this covenant relationship um, in the Lord's design. We, we need to be reminded of God's way. We need to trust God's way. It may not make sense to us in the moment, it may not be the most appealing thing to our sinful flesh, but we can trust it. Just that the Father here has time and time again, as we said, all of these paternal appeals, Son, listen to the instruction of the Father. We understand it, it looks appealing to go off that path. It looks as appealing as the sweetness of honey but it will lead to destruction. And so in our families, we have to need to trust God's good design for these things. And then the third application is um, really our role in the culture. Look, it's no surprise to any of us that we live in a culture that is totally depraved. We live in the midst of a culture that is really sex-centered, um, everything, it seems, uh, hinges upon sex and sexuality and all of those things. I was reading even this week of a study that was done by the Gallup organization. And uh, here's the, the headline of the study. 
Americans see divorce, fornication, and gay relations as more morally acceptable than wearing fur. Yes, you heard that right. In a study done in May of this year, among those surveyed, 54% of those surveyed said that buying or wearing fur is morally acceptable. 66% of people said gay or lesbian relationships are morally acceptable. 72 said sex between unmarried adults is morally acceptable. And 77% said divorce is morally acceptable. So look, that should be no surprise to us that our culture believes it's more morally acceptable to divorce your spouse, to be involved in sexual immorality, or to be involved in sexual uh, gay relationships, it's more morally acceptable to do those things than it is to wear fur. And so that's the context we're living in. Look, if we live according to God's wisdom, we will be different. We will look weird. We will be odd. We will be seen as closed-minded. And yet, this is the clear teaching of God's Word. May we listen to our Father's instruction. May we not walk down a path that leads to destruction, but may we trust God's good design, God's good teaching, as He continues to reveal His wisdom through us, through the book of Proverbs, and through the entire Bible for His glory. Thanks for joining us today.